Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series on community, and we're going to be talking about authenticity. So I want to get right into it right away. So what I'd like you to do is turn to that person that you met earlier this morning and tell them your deepest, darkest, most secret sin. Go ahead and do it right now. No. Some of you had a little panicky look on your face there for a minute, though. I got it. We don't do that with strangers. In fact, we hardly do it with our closest, most intimate friends because it's a lot like love. We talked about this last week. Love and authenticity go so much together. They're very much alike because on one hand, we long for that. And yet on the other hand, we are very, very leery of that idea because it's risky. It's risky stuff. But it is absolutely necessary. Genuine life transformation can only happen, only happen if I'm willing to face up to who I really am. It won't happen any other way. I gotta face up to who I really am so that the real me can experience real life transformation. And God has designed His church for a place for that to happen. It happens best in community. We looked at this sentence last week, and I want to look at it again. Ephesians 3, chapter 10, he said, His intent, God's intent, was now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That's the purpose of the church. God designed his church to be authentic community where we build honest relationships with one another, where we experience genuine caring and compassion and where real love and grace is lived out with each other. And that's not easy. It's not easy. We need the power of God's Holy Spirit to do that. We need to be open to Him and then be willing to do the hard work. And let me just say up front in this series, because we talked, we have talked about community a lot in the life of this church. And I just want to tell you up front, this is lifelong stuff, okay? It is a lifelong learning of love and authenticity and grace and mercy. It's going to take us a long time to learn this, but we keep making progress along the way. And what I want to talk about this morning, again, looking through the book of Ephesians, is learning to live authentic lives. Learning to live authentic lives. And it happens kind of on three levels. On the first level, it's just simply learning to be honest with yourself. You got to be honest with yourself. The example we've been looking at is that first century church, which is described in Acts chapter 2. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, that they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What sustained community, what sustained the depth of fellowship and relationships they have was what was happening in their individual hearts. There was a sincerity which the word literally, it's a very interesting word because the word literally means without wax. And historically, it comes from when um, sculptors would would make a marble statue or or maybe a, a, a marble urn or bowl or something like that, and they would carve it out of the marble. Well, marble has flaws in it. And, and so what they would do is it would be a mixture, kind of a hard mixture of wax. And they would use that to fill in all the flaws, all, all, of the, all of the holes, all of the gaps. And they would fill it in and polish it all up real good. And you really couldn't tell. But if you bought a top quality urn or vase, if you bought a top quality statue, it would be called sincere. No filler. No wax. It's the real deal. 
And it says about this first century church that they lived that kind of life with each other. And that's what we strive for here at Northgate. No secrets, no hidden agendas, no harbored hurts, but that we're open and honest, sincere, without wax. Now here's the problem. The human dilemma is this. We spend most of our time in what is called image management. (laughs) Yeah, exactly what it sounds like. It's wanting to appear better or smarter or more successful than we really are. This whole image management thing, and we all buy into it. We want to appear better than we really are. Kind of like, kind of like this guy. I was at the unemployment office, and I told them I was very close to getting a job with Vandalay Industries, and I gave them your phone number. So well now, when the phone rings, you have to answer, Vandalay Industries. I'm Vandalay Industries. Right. What is that? You're in latex. <laughs> latex. Right. And what do I do with latex? I don't know. You manufacture it. Right here in this little apartment? <laughs> and what do I say about you? You're considering hiring me for your latex salesman. I'm going to hire you as my latex salesman? Right. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what delay in streets? No. Vandalay! Say Vandalay! No, no, you're way, way, way off. Yeah, what? And you want to be my latex salesman. <laughs> I see her. What do I say that I'm doing here in the building? You came to see me. I work in the building. What do you do? I'm an architect. You're an architect? I'm not. I don't see architecture coming from you. You know I always wanted to pretend that I was an architect. What do you do? I'm an architect. Have you designed any buildings in New York? Have you seen the uh, new addition to the Guggenheim? You did that? Yep, yep. It didn't take very long, either. Well, my question is, how could Elaine be under the impression that you bought the big salad when I was the one that handed it to her? Well, she probably just assumed. Mm. Did she? <laughs> wait, wait a second. Are you suggesting that I went out of my way to tell Elaine that even though you handed her the big salad, that it came from me? That's what I'm suggesting. Well, it was a big salad. <laughs> and what I would like to know is how does a person who has virtually nothing to do with a big salad, claim responsibility for that salad, and accept a thank you under false pretenses. (laughs) George, all I did was hand someone a bag. (laughs) There is a little bit of George Costanza in every one of us. You know, we we just kind of shade things a certain way. We want people to think of us just a little bit better than we really are. I'll be honest. You know, every once in a while, people, you know, will ask me, so where did you go to seminary? I didn't go to seminary. (laughs) I didn't go to graduate school. 
I went to Simpson University. Although, when I went there, it was just Simpson College. <laughs> but there's a part of me that just wants to kind of let people think that I got all this education that I don't have, that I'm a little bit better than I really am. And the truth is, I think every one of us wrestle with that idea. And here's the problem, that we are so good at managing our image that we start to believe it ourselves. We start to believe these things about us ourselves. And there's only one solution to this. There is only one solution to this problem of image management, and it is called grace. Because grace gives me the freedom to be who I really am. God's grace allows me to be honest with myself. Paul wrote about it this way. Because he kept reminding them, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You see, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We are all nothing more than trophies of God's grace. Every one of us. Paul writes, once you were dead because of your disobedience, all of us used to live that way. But God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. That is the basis for community. It is the grace of God that allows us to be honest with ourselves. And every one of us, each and every one of us, must honestly face up to our own faults, our own failures, our own selfishness, our own pride. Every one of us have to do that. And you might want to elbow the person next to you because they need to hear this. In fact, if as I said that, you began thinking about two or three people who really need to hear this, it's probably you. Because that's what we do. I, all the time, people come up to me after the message, oh, I, I wish so-and-so was here because they really need to hear what you had to say this morning. <laughs> and that's the problem. We're always thinking about other people who need to hear this message, and it's me, <laughs> and it's you. Each of us have to honestly face up to our own faults, our own failures, our own selfishness, our own pride. I need to start with myself. And the question to ask yourself this morning, not the person next to you, but to ask yourself this morning is, where do I really need to change? What areas of my life that needs this transformation? Paul wrote, live as people of light, for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. What does it mean to live as people of light? It means to be open and transparent and aware of and honest with myself. He says, live that way. Live open, transparent, honest, aware types of lives. It's got to happen on that level. If you don't get through that part, you're never going to go any deeper in this whole idea of authenticity. If you can't be honest with yourself, you're never going to learn, learn to be honest with anyone else. So be honest with yourself. Secondly, on the deeper level, learn to be honest with each other. Because see, if I'm honest with myself, I'm going to begin to recognize that my faults and my insensitivity and my pride and my selfishness affects other people. It does. So the next step Paul talks about is put away all falsehood, 
Tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Not only honest with myself, but honest about myself with others. It's called the practice of confession. And we need it because of this propensity that we have for self-deception. And so we've got to be honest with other people. We need to invite other people into our lives. I need to invite other people into my life that I can be honest with because it keeps me honest. Now, in Protestant circles, we kind of have this aversion to this idea of confession because that's, that's what the Roman Catholics do, and we don't do that kind of thing. And, and I got to admit, I mean, I grew, up, I grew up in Daly City, and all of my friends were good Italian Catholics, the Delfinos, the Minis, the Lagomorsinos, you know, and I was like the only Protestant on my block. <laughs> and all my friends would go to confession, you know, and I couldn't understand what it was all about. And, and kind of as a little kid, what I got from them was confession is where you can go and get over it so then you can go and keep sinning the way that you wanted to. <laughs> and that was kind of my idea of confession. But that's not biblical confession. Biblical confession has to do with coming clean and being honest with each other. Apostle James wrote it this way, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. See, it's not just about forgiveness. It's about healing. Emotional healing, psychological healing, physical healing. Scientists are finding out more and more and more the interconnection of all of these things and how one affects another. And confession is a part of that healing process. Dallas Willard writes about it in The Spirit of the Disciplines. He writes this, Unconfessed sin is a special kind of burden in the psychological as well as the physical realities of a believer's life. The discipline of confession removes the burden, but confession also helps us to avoid sin. It is said that confession is good for the soul but bad for the reputation. But closeness and confession force out evil doing. Nothing is more supportive of right behavior than open truth. There is something that happens when I begin to open up and be honest with the people around me about my own faults. Not only are they there to administer grace to me, but they're also there to keep me honest. And that's the idea. It's about accountability. And we make ourselves accountable to each other so that we can help each other grow. That's why in many 12-step programs, in fact, just about every 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, when they gather together and somebody gets up and shares, they give their name, and I have been so many days sober, or it was so long since my last drink. And that takes real guts to stand up in front of a group of people and say, it's only been this long, or I just messed up yesterday. But the idea behind it is we help keep each other accountable. Or on a simpler level, every once in a while, when I see myself, you know, with some bad tendencies or, you know, whatever, I just tell my wife, would you slap me upside the head the next time I do that, you know? She keeps me honest. And I made a decision a number of years ago on a personal level, to invite a few close friends into my life with the permission to ask the hard questions. And we need that. I need that. 
I need to know that someone is going to hold me accountable. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have anybody like that? Or maybe you once did, but the relationship has kind of drifted and it's not happening anymore. Who is that person for you? And maybe another question is, do they know they're that person for you? And maybe you need to go and have a few conversations this afternoon or this week. Go back to somebody and just say, you know what? I need someone to hold me accountable. Would you be that person for me? Now, what do you look for in this kind of a person? Obviously, you need to find someone who is mature, particularly spiritually mature as well as emotionally mature. You need to know that this is a safe person. And it's got to be, and if you are invited to be this person, it has to be in absolute confidence. It has to be confidential. Proverbs warns us gossips betray a confidence, but a trustworthy, but the trustworthy keep a secret. And you got to be able to keep a secret. You got to find somebody who can keep those secrets for you, who will hold you accountable. And again, if you're invited into somebody's life on that level, make sure that you keep that confidence. You know, don't go to other people and say, I'd like you to pray with me over so-and-so because they've got this problem, okay? That does not help. It has to be kept absolutely confidential. Unless this person is a danger to themselves or a danger to others, what they share with you has got to be kept in confidence. And find somebody, by the way, who's also slow to judge and slow to kind of fix just needs to be somebody who will hold you accountable. Paul wrote, may you have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. His main, may you not only know the love of Christ, may you experience it. Let me ask you the question this morning. How do you experience that kind of love? You experience it in community. That's how it happens. The experience of that kind of love ought to be the kind of thing that happens in a church family. That we are demonstrators and carriers of this love one to another. So be honest with yourself. Be honest with each other. And on a deeper level still, and this one's a little tough, be honest for each other. Because what we need to be is truth-tellers. We need to be able to be honest with one another, for one another, able to warn somebody, able to correct, to reconcile, and to restore. Because you see, it's not about just being accountable to. We also have to be responsible for each other. And it's kind of two sides of the same coin. And it gets to the discipline of confrontation, which John Ortberg defines as the gift nobody wants. (laughs) Although I know a few people who really seem to enjoy it. I have known some people in my life that felt like it was their spiritual gift to be confrontative to everybody around them. You know, anytime they got a little bit offended, it was their job to go and correct everybody else because it couldn't have been them, you know. But the truth is, confrontation needs to happen, and it needs to happen honestly. Paul described it this way. Speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Speak the truth in love. Both of those are needed. Both of those are absolutely necessary. Truth 
without love can be harsh, it can be overbearing, it can be hurtful. Just speaking the truth is not enough. Speaking truth in love is necessary. Now, love without truth can be soft, can tend to kind of avoid difficult situations, can kind of tend to sweep stuff under the rug because don't want to have the confrontation thing going. But you need both. We need to be truth tellers, able to speak the truth in love. Because our goal, what he says here is our goal is to become more and more like Christ. That's what we're trying to help each other do. Become more and more like Christ. And you know how Christ was described in John? John 1, he said, the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he was able to do both of those things, grace and truth, love and truth. He loved people no matter who they were, no matter what they had done, no matter what they had been involved in, no matter what they had been accused of. He loved people just the way that they were. But he was also honest with them about the changes that needed to take place in their lives. And sometimes he was confrontative, sometimes with his very own 12 disciples. But he was always able to do it with love. Now you might ask yourself the question, well, aren't we in danger of becoming judgmental? I mean, if we, if we really practice this, you know, can't judgmentalism just kind of settle in here? And yes, it can. It is absolutely possible that everything sinks down to a legalistic judgmentalism. But wise biblical discernment is not the same thing as judgmentalism. See, we need to be wise. We need to be corrective. We need to be understanding of biblical patterns of right living. And we need to be honest with each other about those things. That is absolutely necessary. Scripture is, is absolutely clear about that. But there is a difference between that and judgmentalism. You see, judgmentalism has to do with condemnation. It just kind of writes people off and tells them what they are and got no interest in them changing ever. It has to do with condemnation. It usually has to do with a sense of moral superiority. Like I'm better than you are. Neener, neener, neener. And you've got to straighten out your life so you can be as good as I am. Or this idea of self-righteousness, that I don't have any faults, I don't have any problems, it's all of you people that have the problem. That's judgmentalism. And that is a very, very different thing than wise biblical counsel and discernment. Scripture is clear. If we know of someone, a brother being ensnared in a sin, we have a responsibility to them. If there's a dispute among believers in the church family, it needs to be reconciled. It needs to be resolved. When someone's been wronged, there needs to be a way of working it out. And Jesus gave us the way to do it. In fact, he said, if you are offering your, your, if you're offering your sacrifice to God, if you're before God bringing your offering to him, and in the middle of all of that, in the middle of worship, you realize and you remember that something's wrong between you and a brother, he says, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. He's really, really clear. He says, first, go. First, go, be reconciled. 
Not first go to someone else and tell them about the problem. Not first go and build your case. Not first go and get as many people on your side as you possibly can. Not first go and bring a prayer request to somebody else. He says, if there's something that's gone wrong in the relationship, if there is sin that is going on that is harmful and detrimental to somebody's spiritual well-being, deal with it. And it's your responsibility to deal with it. Not talking to others, not building the case, not sitting in the corner moping and considering it. Deal with it. But he says do it with humility. Do it in love. Ephesians 4, 32. It says be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And that has been our dream for this church family since day one. That this would be a place of love and mercy and grace and authenticity and caring and kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. But it will not be that kind of place unless each and every one of us decide, I'm going to be that kind of person. Because it's the people that make the church. It's the people that make the community. And so for authenticity to happen, for honesty to happen, for love, acceptance, forgiveness, mercy, grace, for all of that to happen, it's got to happen in me got to happen in you. And that is our goal together as a church, that we would be that kind of community. So be willing to do the hard work of community. Would you bow your heads with me? The Bible is just so, so clear. Community is absolutely essential for spiritual growth and life transformation. You cannot do this stuff on your own. And for that to happen, it requires authenticity. Honest with myself. Let me ask you this morning. What changes in your life have you been avoiding? What things have you been covering up sweeping under the rug, managing really well by your image, pretending. And now, this morning, it's time to be honest. Honest with yourself, honest before God. And just say, Lord, I know this about myself. And I would like to think it's not true, but it is. And I can't change it by myself. I need the power of your Holy Spirit. For some of you, that's where it's got to start this morning. And maybe it's a first step. It's a first step of honesty before God. The Bible talks about it as confessing your sins. First to Him, because He's the only one that can forgive sin. 
Admit it to him and ask his forgiveness. And then let his light gently shine on your life. From here on out, just say, Lord, my life's in your hands. Now, maybe you took that first step of faith. Are you doing pretty good on the honesty with self, but in terms of honesty with each other, few close, confidential friends that you might need to recruit into your life, or somebody that you've hurt or harmed and you've been avoiding the confrontation, but you got to go and ask forgiveness because you've done wrong. And you know it because it's just kind of this heaviness that sits in your heart. You know things aren't right between you and somebody else. And maybe today it's going to take some conversations, honest conversations. We're honest for each other. Helping someone with a blind spot in their own life. And they've given you that permission, but you've not taken them up on it. In love, with humility, for their growth and benefit. Decide today. Sit down and have that conversation. Wherever you're at this morning, we are all learning to live this authentic life. And we've all got those blind spots. And we've all got these ways that we're pretending and dealing with it. And I just want to invite you this morning to take a first step, a next step, if you will, towards authenticity. Whatever that means for you, be obedient to God's prompting in your heart as we pray. Lord, thank you that we can be completely honest with you. We don't have to be, pretend to be better than we are, smarter than we are, more righteous than we are. Because of your grace, we can come to you just the way we really are. And in that spot, to open up and be honest about our faults and our failures and our sin and know that you still love us and you forgive us and you restore us and may that same relationship that we experience with you carry over into the lives of those around us and may we learn to be honest with each other and honest for each other so that this place and these people would be known for our authenticity, for mercy, for grace. May we be known as people of light, shining in a dark, dark world. And where that change needs to happen in my life this morning, Lord, make it happen, I pray. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing this song in closing. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 